Amen. Thank you. It's great to be here with you this morning and to be able to share God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles with you or you have your app, I invite you to open it up on your phone and turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we begin a new series on prayer. We have uh, begun a journey over these last few months uh, having prayer groups, prayer triads, and I invite you, you can still sign up for those or you can actually grab the material and do it on your own. And so there, the material is at the welcome desk. There's a booklet that we've provided for you, or you can find it online at our website as well. So I encourage you to do that. And so as we are entering to this season of prayer, we thought what a better place to go than to the Lord's Prayer and to actually ask the question, that the same question that the disciples asked Jesus, which was, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we're beginning with this series with, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, probably all of you pray. I mean, sometimes we pray uh, as something really bad happens. Has that ever happened to you where you've, you know, something really bad happens, you're just like, oh God, help me. I've had that happen to me, and I realize how quickly life can change in a moment. And so we've all likely prayed. Now, hopefully you haven't just prayed that way, you prayed in other ways as well. But as we look at this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. He isn't teaching them what to pray, but he's teaching them how to pray. So as we begin this series, we want to, we want to realize that this is the first time and the only time that the disciples actually turn to Jesus and say, would you teach us how to pray? Like, he te Jesus teaches them all kinds of things, but never do they ask him to teach. And you wonder why that is. It's because they observed Jesus taking time to get away and pray. As you read through the New Testament, you'll see times where Jesus was busy with people all day long. And then it would say in the evening, he would sneak away. Where? To be alone with, his, with God. To pray. To be quiet. And so they were asking this question. And, and I think for us, it's a great question for us. For us to ask, Lord, would you, would you teach us to pray? Would you help us to understand how we can pray better? How we can improve? How we communicate with God? Because you see, that's what prayer is. It's listening and speaking with God. It's that communication that goes back and forth. It isn't one way. Sometimes we think it's only sort of a one-way communication. We're talking to God. It's actually about starts with us listening to him. So as we begin the series, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, but as we start, we need to start just a little bit before the Lord's Prayer, which is what we'll be looking at, because it gives us a context, and it's going to give us three attitudes that we need to begin as we look at prayer this morning. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, and I'll just read those verses for us. When you pray, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
So let's just pick this up. Let's pick up these three attitudes in prayer, and then we're going to jump into that very first section of the Lord's Prayer this morning. There's three attitudes here. The first one I find in verse 5 is Jesus is saying to us, we need to start with an attitude of humility. We need to be humble before God. He uses an example that people in his day would have understood. See, all the Jewish people would have taken time to go up to the temple. And they would have been seeing the religious leaders of the day praying out loud in public. And maybe it would have even been moving. However, Jesus says, don't just look at the outward, look at the inward, look at the heart. Consider the heart. The attitude of one who comes before God in prayer needs to be one of humility. So we want to start with that particular attitude. In Luke chapter uh, 18, verses 9 to 14, it says this, it's going to come up. To those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is giving us this example of how do we start in our relationship with God, how do we start in prayer? We start with humility. We start recognizing who we are. I love, I love the, the, the uh, tax collector who's like kind of like the low person on the totem pole who just starts with, Lord, I'm a sinner. And all of us, I start that way. Lord, I'm a sinner. I am just a sinner who's been loved by you. So starting with that posture, is that, that starting with that humility is what's so important. The second thing I want you to notice from this text in verse 6 is that our prayer needs to be personally. It needs to be this personal connection. Jesus is stating that prayer begins alone and grows into praying in public. So the idea of praying alone is making time to be with God. And that can be really hard. Our lives are full and busy and can be, I could even say complicated. Jesus was somebody who had hundreds who wanted to be with him, who wanted to touch him, who wanted to hear him speak. And yet he would make time to get away and to be alone with his father. I sort of had an experience like that this past week where I wanted to spend some time with my grandchildren, my grandsons particularly, although my, I love my granddaughter. It's just a different kind of relationship. And so uh, this, this week I, I went out and um, I've been looking for a 22 rifle, bought one. Uh, you might think, is your wife crazy? She lets you go out and just buy a rifle. She knows I've been looking for one for a long time. So the, the day after I bought it, I, you know, I'm showing the kids, talking to my son-in-law and saying, you know, I want to teach the kids gun safety. They need to know guns are in the house. What are they, how do they manage that? So one day I went out with my boys. I just wasn't feeling good. I had said to them, well, let's go. And I don't know about you, but there's times where I, it's like, I know I, this is my time I've set aside to pray. 
And it's like, I just, I, I'm just not up for it. And it's like, you know what? So with my grandboys, it was like, I committed to them that I was going to go, we we're going to do some shooting. I went with them. I wasn't feeling great, but we went. And I take the same tack with God. I think God is waiting. He's never saying, I'm not ready for you. God is constantly saying, I want to meet with you. I want to sit with you. I'm waiting for you to come. And so I come to God, even when I'm like, oh, it just, it's hard. Nobody's going to know if I've been with him. Yeah, they will. God knows that if I've spent time with him or not. So God desires to spend time with us. And we need to make that time to personally get together with God. The third attitude is that of we need to be thoughtful. So we come before God in humility, personally, and now thoughtfully. Jesus uses this example of using kind of vain repetition. And that doesn't mean that we don't keep asking. It just means we don't keep saying the same thing over and over again. Let me give an illustration of that. Um, Many of you may pray before a meal. And I'm curious to know, when you pray before a meal or when you start a prayer, do, do you just sort of go into autopilot? I do. I do. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the food. It's, oh yeah, you know, it's just like, I just, it just happens. And there's, I start saying to myself, is this vain repetition? I, hopefully it's not. But I want to be careful. I want to be thoughtful. I want to actually engage my mind when it comes to prayer. When I was much younger, I remember parroting words that I, you know, Lord, uh, you know, at night before bed, my parents would say, you need to pray before you go to sleep. Okay, yes. Lord, forgive my sins of the day. Amen. I was like, every day. Just, Lord, forgive my sins of the day. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Like, not now either. But I'm not going to tell you what they are, God. I'm just going to say, just forgive them. I just want a blanket. Thank you. You know, thanks for your forgiveness. And, and I did that for years. And I'm just like, that's vain repetition. Let's just do saying the same thing over and over again. And so it's, we need to be thoughtful so that we're not just saying simple, empty words. The final thing that I would suggest comes out of verse 8 is Jesus tells his disciples, as he's, as just before they get to this, Lord, teach us to pray, he's actually saying, you need to know that God already knows what you need before you ask him. And in my mind, I go, well, does that mean then I need to ask him? Like, let's ask the question. Do I actually need to ask God then? If he already knows, why doesn't he just give it to me? And it's as I think of that I think about Jesus' life on earth, and as I read through the way he interacted with people, I want you to notice that when you read the New Testament, when Jesus was healing people, notice how often he asked them what they wanted him to do for them. Do you ever notice that? Where, I mean, it's like there's a blind man here, and Jesus says to him, What do you want me to do for you? It'd be like, duh, he's blind, he, he wants to see. But Jesus would ask the question, why? I think it's because he wanted to engage with the man and in relationship and say, what is it you really want? I want to see. But maybe there's even something deeper than that, to engage. So God knows what we need, but he wants us to come to him and ask, to engage with him as an act of faith, as an act of belief. So I want to encourage us, as we start this 
journey through the Lord's Prayer to keep these three attitudes in mind, humility, intimacy, and thoughtfulness. Keep those three things in mind as these are the lead-in to the Lord's Prayer. Now, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together this morning. But before we do, there are a number of, in case you hadn't noticed, there are a number of versions of the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever noticed that? You go, look, it's like, oh my goodness, there are a whole bunch of them. And so I, I just want you to know that I've chosen to use a particular version of the Lord's Prayer as it's, it's the one that most people would know. Now, I attended school, public school, and I remember in public school every single morning we said the Lord's Prayer together. Anybody else? Yeah, oh, look at lots. Okay, uh, we're showing our age. Because that doesn't happen anymore. But we said the Lord's Prayer together, and we said it in the King James English, which we are going to use because it's the most well-known. We're now, we're not going to teach it in that way. We're going to teach it actually using, well, I'm using the New International Version, but you might use the ESV or other versions, but we're going to say it together in this way. I'm also giving you a version that is uh, the one that is most well-known, and it is the one from the Anglican Church. And my wife, Brenda, did some research, and the, this is the Anglican Common Book of Prayer. It comes from there. And I found out that the Catholics actually have borrowed the Anglican's version. So we're going to use it too. Now, there's one particular part where we could get a little hung up if you're not really paying close attention. There's, a, there's an issue around, um, and I won't get into a long explanation of it. You can go look it up on the web website. Uh, it's just the use of the word trespasses, debts, or sins. And we're going to use the, the, like really the old version, the, the, the trespasses. When we get to that section and actually do some teaching on it, we're probably going to, whoever teaches that section, and I'm not sure who it is, it might even be Chandra and Sarah, I think. No? Anyway, it might be me. Uh, but we're gonna, we'll talk about those three words and why they're translated in that particular way. So why don't you join with me? Let's stand together. And we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Now, this is not vain repetition because, you're one, you're humble, and you're, you're saying it personally, and you're going to be thoughtful as we do it together. All right, let's, let's read it aloud together. And those of you who are at home, you can follow along on the screen as well. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I also need to let you know that that last section is actually not part of Matthew chapter 6, but it's actually taken from the Old Testament. Uh, but it's a wonderful ending to this particular prayer. Well, let's, let's dive into it and let's actually look at the prayer this morning. So Jesus in uh, verse 8 says, the Father knows what you need. In verse 9, Jesus then says, this then is how you should pray. So where do we get this Lord teach us to pray? It actually comes from Luke's gospel, where Luke records that the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. 
But then here he says, this is, this is how you should pray. Again, I would remind us, it's not what we should pray, but it's the way to pray. Verses 9 to 13, it's the way to pray. So we're just looking actually at four words today in the English language, and we're going to unpack those for us today. The first word is our. You notice Jesus doesn't start by saying, okay, this is how you should pray, my Father. He starts with our So it's really important for you and I to understand that when Jesus starts in this way, he's telling us that we pray in community. We pray it together. He is setting us up to say, yes, we pray privately. Yes, we pray personally. But we also pray in community. We realize that when we pray, we aren't just praying for ourselves, but we're praying for others as well. I've I've been in a lot of small groups with people, and many of them, as we've started small groups, have been people who just would simply say, you know, I I don't pray aloud in a group. And I would say, that's fine. That's okay. Those who were comfortable to pray with no pressure would pray. And those who didn't would be like, it's fine. It's okay. Share your needs. We want to pray for you. We want to live in this community, this hour over time, and I can't think of one instance where someone who started with, I don't pray out loud in public, ever came back at the end of being in a small group for a number of weeks and had not started to pray out loud in public because they saw how meaningful it was to pray for each other within community. So this is where this particular word starts for us, our. It's not, it's personal, but it's also corporate. It's together. The second word that you'll notice here is the word Father. Our Father. A personal, loving Father. Now I need to address the elephant in the room, which is that families are notoriously messy. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Families are messy. I grew up in one. I know. My parents are going to watch this, so I need to be careful what I'm going to say. Because they're going to, what do you mean? It wasn't messy. We were awesome. And I'm going to go like, well, yeah, it was, you know, it was okay, but you weren't perfect. Just like I wasn't perfect. Uh, our daughters particularly, um, you know, you know that the first child in the family is called the crash test dummy. It's, it's as a parent, you know, you're, you're trying all the new, like, you don't know how to do this. You've never done this before. So everything, you're, like the first one, it's like, got to do this, got to do this. You've read all the books, and you find the books don't work. And so families are messy. And so when you look at that word in our, in our culture today, you could look at this word of father and go, I have a really bad experience. Now, I personally didn't, but I know many people who have. They've had bad experiences with their father. When our, when our girls were growing up and now they're adults, we've actually, I've sat down with both of them and said, okay, tell me where I really messed with your head. Like, what did I, what have I done? I can tell you some things. So with our oldest daughter, I remember she got disciplined a lot. Crash test dummy. And so I, I remember going to her at like when she's 30 and saying, Renee? How, 
I feel like I, I just messed you up. Did I, did I do, like, all this, you know, all the discipline that I did. It's like, did I really mess you up? And she's like, no, Dad, I don't think you did. I deserved everything I got. And I'm like, I don't think you did. <laughs> I was dishing stuff out that I don't think you, you know, that you really needed at the time. So I just want to, that's the elephant in the room, right? Like, fathers, yeah, we may look at this and go, I just, I can't go there. And yet God wants to redeem fatherhood by saying, I'm a father who's perfect. Personal, loving father. Jesus is redeeming and changing the nature of the father to be the ideal father. In the Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith, it says this, and I just thought I needed to quote it, God comforts like a loving mother, trains and disciplines like a caring father, and persists in covenant love like a faithful husband. The confession of faith is telling us God wants to redeem those. Are, those. are we those perfect? Am I a perfect husband? No. Am I a perfect father? No. But I know who is. And I can know him, and he wants to be known as a father. John, in his gospel, says these words at Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrated last week, but in John chapter 20, it says, Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In this prayer, Jesus is inviting us to say our Father. That we are united with Jesus as brothers and sisters, but that we have the same Father. Notice the use of the words in that text in John 20, 17, the use of the words my and your. Jesus is stating that we are in this personal, loving relationship with God. I want you to notice also in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John writes this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. I just love that word. He loves us. Even when we're disobedient children. Does he discipline us? Yes. Does he punish us? That's different. No, he disciplines us. He wants to guide us back into relationship with him. He reaches out to us. John is writing about a father's love for us, not based on our earthly father, but on the perfect father. So our father. The last two words are in heaven. Our father in heaven. This is a perspective that we need of faith. You need to understand that the concept of a personal loving father would have been astounding to the Jews of, his, of this day. They're like, what are you talking about? We, that's not the kind of relationship we have with God. God is way out there. We can't even get close to him. We go to the temple and we have to make sure we do our sacrifices and they have to be done in exactly the right way and exactly the right time. And they have to be absolutely perfect. And so we're, we're scared of this God. He's, he's just so far out there. 
And so this, this idea of calling God a father was just a new word. And for us, it's sort of become the norm, right? Like we have this intimate, personal relationship with God, and I think we, we should. But the other side of that is we also need to not lose what we would call the transcendence of God, that God is above us, that God is beyond us, that we will never fully understand him. And in the midst of that, he still invites us into a very personal relationship with him. So there's this, what I'm calling a perspective of faith. D.A. Carson says this, the Jews of Jesus' day were inclined on the whole to conceive of God as so exalted that personal relationships with him could scarcely be imagined. He was so transcendent that the richness of personality was frequently lost to view. By contrast, much modern evangelicalism tends to portray him as exclusively personal and warm. Somehow his sovereignty, sovereignty and exalted transcendence disappear. So there's this, there's this pulling us back. So yes, we want to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. But we also need to hold intention that God is this powerful being who we actually can't control, but who it does invite us into that relationship. In the past, there have been some great writers of hymns. And I came across this one, and I just I want to share it with you. You'll, you'll get The words will come up on the screen. It's Walter Chalmers Smith uh, hymn, which, which goes like this. And just think about these words as we think about the transcendence of God. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious. The ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Second verse, great father of glory, pure father of light. Thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All laud we would render, we worship. Oh, help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. The transcendence of God. Today, we actually, as, as I've said, we all speak much more about that close personal relationship. And yes, we need his imminence. We need his being with us. But we also need to have faith to believe that that transcendent one who is above everything, if we see that, that is the perspective of faith that we need to have. Where we look at that and go, you know what? God is personal. He knows me. He knows my feelings. He knows my heart. He knows my emotions. He knows my failings, and yet he loves me. And at the same time, he is so above me that when I go to him in prayer, I know that he can do anything and everything that I ask. Not because he wants to do it, but because I'm in line with who he is. So to make sure we're carrying that transcendence, we need to keep them both in mind. Now what? As we close this morning, I want to just remind you of basically of three things that come out of this passage. First of all, I want to start by this. If you take nothing else, I just want you all this week to start and end every day with our Father in heaven. And think about each of those words. Living in community, the imminence of God, his closeness, personal, and the transcendence of God that he is in heaven. 
If you carry those three thoughts with you throughout the week, God will be meeting you through those thoughts. So let me, let me close with these words. It's all about relationship. You see, when his disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, they're saying, teach us about what does it mean to be in relationship with this one you're talking to. We don't get it. We, we don't have that kind of relationship. So it's all about relationship. Jesus had this intimate, personal relationship with his fathers. And as the disciples watched, they wanted the same thing. It's my desire. That's what we would want. That every person in this room would want that personal, intimate way that you can talk to God, knowing that you also have the faith to believe of who he is above us. It's about relationship. Secondly, I would suggest to you this morning as we close, that praying alone builds our relationship with God. Praying alone. Praying together develops our commitment to each other. That's the, that ties the our and father together. Our community, father, relationship. To meet with our father alone. And then out of that powerful time alone, to be in community praying for others around us. It's my personal conviction that to develop a healthy prayer life starts with this alone time. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't always been great at it. I don't even think I'm great at it now. I've got lots to learn. And yet it's something that I go, I need to spend time alone with God. That's what feeds my soul feeds my life to face every single day. Because that's what I believe it fed Jesus' life to face every day when he was on earth. Finally, encouragement that you and I need to find encouragement to have the time to be the one who loves you and I and who is unequaled. To begin each day, as I said, with our Father in heaven. To put God first in our life. You notice that this prayer, this Lord's prayer, this how to pray, doesn't begin with me. We'll get to me. But it begins with God. And I would suggest to us, to myself, that we need to put God first. When we start to pray, it's like, God, who are you? Thank you, God, you're my Father. What does it mean for you to be my Father? Invite God to show you himself to you as a loving, personal father, especially if you've had a broken family relationship, to say, God, would you begin to redeem this thought of a father to actually align with who you are, not with what my experience has been. And for, for us as we close, to look up and to see the transcendence of God his imminence, his personal lovingness, and then his majesty and holiness, and hold those two things in tension and embrace the tension. Call on the worship team to come as we pray. Lord, teach us to pray. We try, we even do. Yet we need you to help us to pray in the way that you did. Lord, I pray this morning uh, over this group and those uh, who are watching online. Father, if there are people who have a very broken family relationship with a father or a mother, Lord, I pray, I pray healing. 
I pray a, an anointing over them that there'd be a work of your Holy Spirit that would transform them to see you as that perfect Father, not the broken Father. Lord, I pray as we want to learn how to pray that we would pray our Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would be the one to teach us. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit who will do that for us. We invite you to teach us to pray today, into this week, and into the weeks ahead. Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.